Praise God. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes tonight. And I, um, tonight, um, do some vision casting for the summer. But more importantly, speak to a bigger picture thing that I think that we need to understand. And I'm, I, I think I mentioned this. I can't, I, I, it all runs together. So if I repeat myself, it's not intentionally. It's, I talked to so many different groups and so many different settings. I can't remember who I said what to. Uh, but vision is great. Vision is awesome. And I believe God has given us a tremendous God-given vision. This hasn't come out of a book. This hasn't come out of some church growth strategy. It has come from God as he's given it to us and directed it for us. I believe we all can see and say, man, the fact that we have seen and know that God's given us uh, vision. However, encompassed in that vision, there is a second part to that that goes hand in hand. Vision is great. It's awesome. But there's another part of this that is of equal importance to vision, and that is culture. Culture is a huge thing that we are in the process of changing. Vision really can be changed in a week. Think about it. For those of you that have been around for a while, it, it, it went by pretty quickly. It went from September, we were sort of going to do this thing on a trial basis, to all of a sudden by January, we're jumped into the, we're ready to go. No more Sunday nights, no more this. It was just full into it. Vision can change in a, in, in a moment. We can change vision. We can change. But culture takes time because culture deals with how you think. Vision really talks to what you do. But culture deals with what you think, how you think, and why you think that way. There are certain things, and there's some in here tonight that are from a different culture. There's some in this place tonight that have come from different cultures are, 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 are very astute and understanding different cultures. And they will tell you, there are certain things in some cultures that work that won't work in other cultures. Certain ideas, certain, uh, certain aspects. There are certain things uh, that work in America that don't work in other places. Why? Because it's not just the fact that they're good ideas or bad ideas, but they succeed in America because the culture of America produces it. You go to other countries and you go, you go, we have, we have, uh, Sister Jolin here is from Korea. I'm sure there's things in the Korean culture that they do that if, if, if they did those things in America, it wouldn't work because the American culture doesn't work that way. Or there's things vice versa that we do in America. If you took it to, to South Korea, wouldn't work. What is Sister Jolene? Wouldn't work. So we have to understand that vision is great. But if we don't work together to change our culture, eventually the vision will be overtaken and eaten by the culture. Because we have, we've changed some things and God started to change some things and we've made great progress and we are, God is doing some awesome things. But if we don't continue to strive to change our culture... Our vision is just going to become just something else we do. Add it onto the list. And so, as we've been doing this, we've talked a lot about vision. We've talked a lot about vision. We've, we've, we, have, we have talked about vision. We'll continue to talk about vision. There's a lot of things pertaining to vision and, and, and understanding the implements of that. But we haven't had as much time, and this is sort of the shift that took place several Sunday mornings ago when we started the anatomy of a disciple. There is a shift that we've got to make that all of us need to make in our culture. And we're starting that journey. But that journey cannot be completed just simply by what's sent over the pulpit. We all have to work together to change the culture. For instance, I'll give you a perfect illustration. You say, well, what's the difference between vision and culture? I, I, I read this a, while, a couple weeks ago, and I thought it was brilliant how, it was, how the image of this. Here's the difference between vision and culture. Vision is the car. It's the, it's the high-powered sports car. I saw this the other day. In Dubai, because of the high-end cars they have, that the police in Dubai actually started making Lamborghinis into sports into their police cars. 
so they could keep up with some cars. I'm like, I need to become a police officer in Dubai. How cool is that? So you can have a car that is absolutely $250,000 car, zero to 60 in a sneeze. I mean, this thing is fast. It can have all the high-performance things it can. That's vision. But culture is the road you put it on. So you can have the greatest vision, but if your culture doesn't match your vision, you can never see the fullness of the vision come to pass. I remember years ago, I don't remember, I was young. I was, oh, I couldn't have been more than five years old. I still remember this at that age. My dad was preaching a prayer camp in South Korea at some kind of mountain retreat. Brother Joel and Brother Mallory, you guys know what that thing was called? What was it called? Prayer Mountain. This retreat. And back then, to get to it, you had to turn off the paved road. It was no pay. It was no. It was no. There was no get off the exit. It was a track off the road, and this thing was filled with potholes. And so my, my, we were in one car, and there was other missionary and other speakers in the car in front of us. And so there's a little ongoing game. How many times, whoever bottomed out the most lost, basically, and the car just boom, 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 and you can only go a couple miles an hour. I'm not talking about little ripples. I'm talking about. Chasms in the hole. Then I remember a little while after that, we went to Africa. We went to South Africa. And these are all memories as a child. These, this stuff stuck out to me. You got this, this old, I remember this old, old dirt road that's going to this retreat up in the middle of nowhere. And it's got all these potholes. I mean, we're just bouncing in the car, scraping. You think the whole bottom of the car is going to come out. And then I went to South, when I went to Africa when I was young, they went to South Africa, and I don't know if it was the case now. It was at the time. But South Africa had a law that if the road caused damage to your car, the, the, the government had to pay for the repairs. So their, their roads were like glass. I mean, it was like phenomenal. There wasn't a pothole in the country. I mean, it was just amazing. And you can take the same car, and depending on which road you put it on, you can have a car that can barely go 2 miles an hour, and you can have a car that can go 100 miles an hour, same car, but the difference is the road it travels on. So we can have this great vision that God's given us, and all this stuff God's had, and we can say, great vision, but if the culture is not right, the vision will only be able to just bounce along in the potholes. But if we can match the vision with the culture. So one of the major things we've been talking about in changing the culture is discipleship. Discipleship is not just something cool and neat. It's not a buzzword. Discipleship is a culture. The things that we've been talking about Sunday morning, we're going to continue to talk about Sunday morning, are culture-shifting things. They're changing the way. I, it was cool on in small group on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon. We had a we had a discussion. We were talking about the four questions. Remember the four questions that we need to ask ourselves as God is working in our lives. What is God teaching me? What is God revealing to me? What is God showing to me about myself? And what is God trying to get me to change? These are four things I've got to challenge myself with. I've got to be aware of what God's doing in my life. I've got to, they're not just, we can't be passive. I've got to understand that God's working in my life. And it was really awesome to hear some of the young people in that room as they began to share, as they recognize what God was doing in their life. And you know what? In our trials and tests and tribulations, that God's not taking in these things to punish us, but God's taking us through these things because they're going to teach me, they're going to reveal, they're going to show me, and they're going to help me change. So that's why God never wastes a trial, God never wastes a hurt, because everything in my life God can use for the purpose of making me a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I can conform to his image. 
It's like the old adage that they told the, they told the sculptor, how did you create such a beautiful piece of, of, of art? And he said, well, the, art, the, the sculpture was all there. All I did was break away the pieces. That's what God does in our life. And so we've been talking about that. We'll continue to talk about this. But one of the major components that we've, that we've discussed as sort of the backdrop is, is that we have talked about not being driven by emotions, but being driven to transformation. That it's easy for us Pentecostal apostolics to be emotional and be driven by emotion, but never change. And so that's why we can get addicted. I'm going to use this term even though we don't use it anymore. We get addicted to church service. Because church service, if done in a Pentecostal traditional way, is a very emotional thing. Not saying emotion's wrong. So don't leave like we're going to start going, Amen. We are not emotional, but we... It's not, it's not that. There's emotion. You know, I love worshiping God's exciting. Talking about the goodness of God gets me excited. I'm sorry, I'm not somebody that just, you know, I love Jesus. I get excited. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying something you like or hear and say, that's it, amen, I got it, yes. Or standing up and clapping your hands and saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in my life. There's nothing wrong with that. So don't get me wrong and say, we got to sit there quietly. Say the rosary, because that's we're not emotional. But the point is, emotion doesn't change me. I may be moved by emotion, but if I don't step out and pass my emotion, nothing ever changes. That's why we've seen for years and years, people come to an altar and, oh, God, walk back to their seat. Next week, same thing. Oh, God, back to their seat. Next week, same thing. Oh, God, And they just repeat this thing over and over again. And nothing ever changes in their life. They never get one step closer to Jesus. They never become one step closer to being a disciple in complete and fullness, as James said. Nothing. Because they like the emotion of it. And let's be honest. Some people get so addicted to emotion that when they don't have trauma, they create trauma. Hallelujah. When they don't have problems, they create problems. Because problems create emotion. That's dangerous. Nothing's wrong with emotion. We're going to continue to be emotional. we got to be excited. If you're not excited in the house of God, something's wrong with you. You need to check your pulse. We need to see if you're still breathing. There's something exciting about when God moves. There's something exciting when we were singing uh, 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 um, last week. He's alive. He in glory. With all power and authority. He conquered my enemy. Put them under my feet. That's exciting. I mean, come on. You can't say that and say, He rose in glory. With all power and authority. You don't, you don't believe what you're saying if you say that. But when you think about heroes in glory. With all power and authority. He conquered my enemy. When you sing that song, it's about you just got to move your feet because it's under my feet. Put them under my feet. There's something about that. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that emotion is great. But true transformation comes when we allow God, again, Sunday morning, who's the agent of change, all change, all genuine and authentic change, comes from God. But we allow God to do what? Change the way we think. If we don't change the way we think, we'll just, we can dance and shout and sweat and, and kick and snort and buck and nothing ever changes. Because the Bible says transformation comes from the way we think. So I want to talk to you for just a few minutes tonight on something that is a part of discipleship, but it's a subcategory discipleship. And I, I, it's just a focus that's something that's been in me and my wife and I have had quite a bit of conversations uh, in this. And, and I want to just share with you for the next 20, 20, 25 minutes or so, not very long, on this. I want to talk to you about the culture of servanthood. We often talk about servanthood, but we look at servanthood as something we do, 
But we don't ever talk and think about how a servant is supposed to think. Because if it's something I do, if I don't feel like doing it, eh. But if I understand I'm supposed to think like a servant, then it becomes a part of my culture because culture is driven by the way I think. Let me read to you two scriptures here, one out of the New Century Version and one out of the Message Bible. Numbers 14, verse 24, out of the New Century Version says this, My servant Caleb thinks differently and follows me completely. Philippians 2, 5 in the Message Bible says this, Think of yourselves, everybody say think, Think of yourselves the way Jesus Christ thought of himself. So think, think. Servanthood requires a mental shift and a change in attitude. I want you to remember, if you don't hear anything else I said tonight, I want you to hear this. God is always more interested in why we do something than in what we do. I want to say it again because that's so fundamental. We got to get that. God is more interested in why we do something than in what we do. We get so caught up in the what we're doing. And we're like, well, God, I'm doing all this. But he's like, yeah, but your heart's not in it. Because look at this. Go back to second. Do we have computer tonight? Read. Look at this verse. 2 Chronicles 25, verse 2. 2 Chronicles 25, verse 2. We have, do we have that? Maybe. Something. No? Okay. Second Chronicles 25, 2. I feel like when I turn around, it's going to pop up. <laughs> there it is. Ha ha! See? Watch this. This is called, this is King uh, Amaziah. And he did with that which was right in the sight of God, but not with a perfect heart. He did what was right in God's sight, but not with a perfect heart. And if you read that, you'll know that God looked at the heart, not at the action. That's why i got to be honest with you. It's going to be a scary day in the, on the, at, at the judgment. Because people are going to come up, they're going to list their credentials of all the stuff they did to God. And he's going to say, yeah, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Because you did all that was right, but your heart wasn't right. It didn't start here. It started here, but it didn't start here. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but yet, the one translation said, but yet not with a true heart. He did what was right, but he didn't do it with a true heart. Real servants serve God with a mindset of servanthood. So let's talk about this. There are five attitudes that servants should possess. Again, I'm not going to be all night, so don't get all, we're not going bishop right deep tonight. There are five attitudes that servants should have. Number one, real servants are self-forgetful. Real servants are self-forgetful. They focus on others, not themselves. This is true humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. True humility is not thinking of yourself at all. True servants don't focus on on, on themselves. They focus on others. Paul said, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. This is what it means to lose your life. Paul said, lose my life. Why? Forgetting yourself in the service to others. When we stop focusing on our needs, we become aware of the needs around us. Jesus did this. The Bible says Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. I wonder when the last time we emptied ourselves for the benefit of someone else. See, you can't be a servant if you're full of yourself. It's only when you forget yourself that we do the things that deserve to be remembered. This is not a popular subject in our world today. Our world is as selfish as it comes. It's me, it's mine, it's my 15 minutes of fame. 
it's me, it's my, it's my, my deal, my deal. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And God is completely opposite. Because what did the Bible say? I must decrease. Whoa! That doesn't get me more followers on Instagram, I tell you that right now. I must decrease so that, guess what? He can. That is so against our culture. Notice I said the word. Our culture, in America especially, Brother Ronnie, is extremely self-absorbed. But in the opposite, a true biblical culture and a body of believers should be a culture of humility. And humility, again, is not thinking less of yourself. True humility is not thinking of yourself at all. See, the problem is a lot of our service is often self-serving. We mostly serve to get others to like us or to be admired or to achieve our own goals. That type of service is manipulation, not ministry, and God's not in it. It's like, come on, let's be honest. It's like giving. We'll get to this in a minute. It's giving. You know what? Let's be honest. If, we, if you only have a dollar to give, that's all you've got. Most of the time, the attitude is, I don't want anybody to see you only have a dollar to give. You crumple it up and you make it into a little square where you can't see what the denomination is. You just know it's money and put it in there. But if I, tonight, if you're going to write a check for a million dollars, put in the offering. Come on, let's be honest. Don't act like you're, don't act like you're, you're you got the humility. Give you like, mm-hmm. hello, everybody. Offering time's here. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, just want to let y'all know. Um, Jesus blessed me at 7-Eleven the other day. Hit my numbers finally. I'm going to give to the church. Yes, right here. Look at my check right here with the gashes. Put it in there. Drop it in there with a finger roll. There it is. Jesus. Jesus is going to love me. So we, 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 we do these things without even noticing. It's like the lady. Come on, let's be honest. Every woman that's got engaged has become the best worshiper in the church. Every woman, come on, you, you got engaged in the church, or you see someone got engaged, you got to admit, they can be the sweetest, but all of a sudden now, it's like, Jesus knows just what, they're the praise dancers now, I need, got to get that light, got to get up in the light to get that sparkle, Jesus knows just what, I need, praying for people laying hands, <laughs> all of a sudden they laying hands on everybody, you got a need, brother, let me just lay hands on you, that's it. Let's be honest, we do things, a lot of the time at its core, we do things because it makes us look good to everybody else. Or, how about this, we do things because we think if we can do them, we somehow can get God to owe us. God, look at me, I'm coming to, I'm coming to every gathering, I'm I'm giving. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm helping out. I'm doing all this. And my life is messed up. What's up with this, God? Let me tell you this. I've tried it. Ne- manipulation never works with God. And I've watched people use servanthood as a manipulation to God. God, I'll do this if you do that. God, I'll... I'll give you my time if you heal me. God, I'll do. I'll I'll, I'll come to nine forty five discipleship, but you got to pay my. You, you see the bargaining chip we use. It may not be something that's in the front of our mind, but watch when stuff goes wrong in our life. What's the first thing we start doing? God, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. Why is it like? Real servants don't try to use God for their purposes. They let God use them for his purpose. The quality of self-forgetfulness, like faithfulness, is extremely rare. Out of all the people Paul knew, Timothy was the only example he could point to. Here's the problem. Thinking like a servant is difficult because it challenges the basic problem of my life. I am, by nature, selfish. I think most about me. By nature. 
It's built in us. If you've ever raised a child, you never had to tell that child be selfish. They are born being selfish. It is born in them. Today, we had to run a couple errands. And my girls are old enough now to stay home. And, but Noah's not, not, not there yet, even though he thinks he's there. And we had to take him with us. And my wife, were in, my wife and I were in the car. We were talking about some stuff that was important. We were trying to talk about it. And he's like, Mom, 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 Mom. And she's trying to get, and he's, she's not ignoring my purpose, but and you guys aren't listening to me. Because you know what? At six years old, he thinks when he talks, the world should stop and pay attention. We do the same thing with God. We think if we cry hard enough, or we pitch a big enough fit, that we can get God's attention. Humility is a daily struggle. It's a lesson I have to relearn over and over again. The opportunity to be a servant confronts me dozens of times a day where I'm given the choice to decide between meeting my needs or the needs of others. Self-denial is the core of servanthood. We can measure our servant's heart by how we respond when others treat us like servants. Let me ask you this question. How do you react when you're taken for granted, bossed around, or treated as an inferior? How do you react when you're taken for granted, bossed around? Notice what Matthew 5.41 says in the Message Bible. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. Oh. By the way, I'd like to give an update. As of today, I have gone almost a week without wrecking any vehicle I currently own. Thank you, Jesus. Just need to let you know with the update. Again, Matthew 5.41 says, If someone takes advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. Number two attitude. Real servants think like stewards, not owners. They remember God owns it all. In the Bible, a steward was a servant entrusted to manage him as an estate. Joseph was this kind of stu- servant as a prisoner in Egypt. First, Potiphar entrusted Joseph with his home. Then the jailer entrusted Joseph with his jail. Eventually, Pharaoh entrusted the entire nation to him. Servanthood and stewardship go together since God expects us to be trustworthy in both. The Bible says the one thing required of such servants is that they be faithful to their master. How are you handling the resources God has entrusted you with? To become a servant, you're going to have to settle a major issue in your life. And I know when I say this, and I can only talk about this Monday, Wednesday night, because I talk about this any other time, people just shrivel up like a prune. It's everything gets tight. Because in order to settle, to become a real servant, you've got to settle the issue of money in your life. Because you know why? Jesus said, no servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and many. He didn't say you shouldn't serve both. Notice that. He didn't say you shouldn't serve both. He said you cannot serve both. It's impossible. Living for ministry and living for money are not mutually exclusive goals. Ooh, boy, it's getting tight even on Wednesday night. The question is, which one will you choose? If you're a servant of God, you can't moonlight yourself. All your time belongs to God. He insists on an exclusive allegiance, not part-time faithfulness. I've said this for years. We want to have part-time commitment and a full-time God. We want 
to come to God when it's convenient to us, but we want God to come to us when we need Him at that moment. You know what? In every one of you here that has worked jobs, there's a difference between the benefits to part-time and full-time employees. You're a part-time employee. You don't get the same benefits. You may be working your butt off for the 20 hours you're there that week, but you're not getting the same benefits as a full-time employee because a full-time employee, that's what they do. That's the expectation. For you, you're only given a portion of your time. You're not going to get all the benefits. You're not going to get a retirement package. You're not going to get health care. You're not going to get all this stuff because you're part-time. But yet when it comes to God, we want to give God part-time commitment. But we want all the benefits of a full-time relationship. Doesn't work that way. We want righteousness, peace, joy, happiness, fulfillment, contentment on a part-time basis. Because the moment you start asking people to be full-time, well, well, I got this to do, I got that to do. Money has the greatest potential to replace God in your life. More people are sidetracked from serving by materialism than anything else. You say, well, I'm not like that way. No, but how many times did you stay home because you had a sniffle from church that you went to work almost half dead? I'm not like that. I give. I give to the Lord. No, 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 no. But watch how many times we're easily able to ask things that are on the our discipleship, what we would never think about. There's some of you in here, I, you probably can't even remember the last day you missed a day at work. They'd have to literally cut both legs off and strap you down to miss work. But man, it's amazing. Over the years, I, I could tell you some stories over the years. I won't use any time frame or reference, just over the years of things that people have said, well, I can't, I can't come today. Well, why not? One particular individual said this, and I'm going to be very, very cautious how I say this, but this still cracks me up. One individual said this. They said, I can't come to this morning because I'm very sick and can't get out of bed. But I'm not going to be able to be there tonight because I'm going to go to my grandson's championship football game. This was when it was literally like eight degrees outside. So I can't come this morning because I'm deathly ill, but I'm going to go to a football game tonight when it's eight degrees outside because my grandson's playing. That doesn't even pass, that doesn't even register in our brain. Nothing in our brain goes, wait a minute. Something's off here. It's amazing to me over the last 10 years of pastoring and 37 years of being in the body. It's amazing. People say God doesn't do miracles. You're wrong because it's amazing the miracles that take place at 12.01 a.m. Monday morning. Because apparently death strikes Saturday night. But somehow the angel of life appears at 12.01 Monday morning because people are deadly sick Sunday but have found healing on Monday. I'm not, I'm not trying to poke fun. I'm not trying to beat up. I'm trying to get us to realize, wait a minute, we're using things and saying things are okay, but are they okay to... I'm not making fun of everybody or trying to make you uncomfortable laugh or poke fun at people that legitimately have things. That, I'm just simply saying, we've got to stop and think about some things and realize, wait a minute, we've got to get some things straight here. We point fingers at God a lot, but we don't look at our own heart and action. The Bible is very clear. God uses money to test your faithfulness as a servant. That's why Jesus talked more about money than he did either heaven or hell. You don't believe me? Go look it up in the Gospels. He talked more about money than heaven or hell. Why? Because money speaks to the root of a heart of a servant. He said, if you're not trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who will trust you to handle true riches? 
you manage your money affects how much God can bless your life. We don't like talking about money. Well, you don't talk about No, no, no. Why is it that in a church, in, in, in a gathering, we get tight about talking about money? You know why? Because that's one place you can't fake it. Because it gets at the heart. Because every person in here that's over the age of 18, we give our blood, sweat, and tears. Pain, agony, and everything to our job to get money to pay. When you start messing with that, you, you, you find another subject. I guarantee I get more amens talking about fasting than I can talk about giving. I want you to fast seven days. I'll do it. Praise God. Kill my flesh, Lord. But I want to talk about how you deal with your money. But Jesus will talk more about money than heaven or hell. See, I believe people fall into two categories. Kingdom builders or wealth builders. Wealth builders continue to build for themselves, but kingdom builders change the rules of the game. They're out there still working. They're out there still doing the same thing, but the whole purpose of what they're doing is so that they can be a benefit to the kingdom. There was a church that I heard, large church, huge, huge church, tons of resources, and they had a group of men. This wasn't from the pastors. A group of men that were CEOs, owners of business. I mean, these guys were not working at McDonald's. These guys had ridiculous jobs, very, very successful companies. They decided to get together. And they said, look, we're going we're gonna to work together. We're going to work together so that every one of us can work together and pool our resources that we can make each one of our companies as big and as, and as, and as, and as, and as successful as they can so that we can be more of a benefit to the kingdom. And they begin to work together. They begin to meet weekly and pray. They would pray for each other's businesses. They would work together, helping each other out, talking with each other, sharing with each other, networking for the full purpose of benefiting the kingdom. And the stories of the blessings of God, that it's just, I read this whole thing about one of the men that was in the group talked about his business and all the things that happened because of what they were trying to do. Number three, I'm getting there. Number three, real servants think about their own responsibilities, not other serv- not what other servants are doing. Real servants think about their own responsibilities, not what other servants are doing. Real servants don't compare, criticize, or compete. Because why? They're too busy doing the work of God in their life to worry about what others are doing. You've got time to worry about others. You've got too much time on your hands. If I've got too much, if I've got time, Brother Cassius, to worry about what you're doing and not doing, I'm not spending enough time worrying about me. Notice this. Competition between God's servants is illogical for many reasons. Number one, we are all on the same team. Number two, our goal is to make God look good, not ourselves. Number three, we've been given different assignments. And number four, we all are uniquely shaped. Paul said this, we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have a lot more interesting things to do with our lives to compare. Why? Because each one of us is an original. There's no place for jealousy between servants. There's no place for petty jealousy between servants. There's no place for petty jealousy between servants. When you're busy serving, you can't have, you don't have time to be critical. Any time spent criticizing others is time that could be spent ministering. When Martha complained to Jesus that Mary was not helping with the work, she lost her servant's heart. We'll read that again. When Martha complained to Jesus that Mary was not helping with the work, she lost her servant's heart. Remember, real servants don't complain of unfairness, don't have pity parties, and don't resent those not serving. They just trust God and keep serving. We have a tremendous group 
of men and women that come like clockwork at 8, 8.30 Sunday mornings. We have a whole other group of men and women that stay later. And you know what? They may have said it, and if they did, don't tell me, and I don't want to burst my bubble. But I've never, and I've got to be honest with you, not every time you get there, you feel like being there. But I've never heard anybody complain. I've never heard one time someone walk around going, this stupid chairs, stupid people not here to help me with the stupid chairs. If they've done that, you saw them, don't let me know that. I don't want to burst my bubble. I've never seen that. I love watching Brother Chris. He always sticks out at me. Brother Chris, there, Sunday morning. Takes time. Brings his sweatpants, T-shirt. You know why I love that? Because you know what? His name's not up in lines. Not a small group leader. Not somebody that everyone's like, oh, there goes Brother Chris. Oh, Brother Chris, pray for me. He used that anointing on me. I need that. Hallelujah. But that guy is a servant. I've watched his servant attitude. And you know what? I love watching him. Brother Chris, don't stop now. Because he comes. I watch him. I love the smile on his face. He's there on Sunday, vacuuming him in the carpets, just smiling away. I love that. Because you know what that means? It's not coming from what he's doing. It's coming from in here. I love, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta give them props and, and, and pick them on it for a moment. We all should have been raised in Owens. We all need to change our last names to Owens. Because I've never seen a family from top down that is not just a whole family of servants. I mean that. Honest to goodness, and I'm not saying that just, but you got to give honor to who honors do. Antioch West would cease to function if the Owens family decided to leave. Please don't leave. Because you know what? They're there in the morning, and they're the last people to leave. And never one time did any of them have to be coerced into doing it. Why? They have a heart of a servant. And you know why reason I know they have a heart of certain? Because I've never seen them go around pointing fingers at everybody else who's not doing it. I never one time seen, okay, Pastor Ray, could you just recognize us Sunday and just tell us how great your job we're doing and let everybody know that we're here, we're just doing an awesome job? No. They do it tirelessly. That's true servanthood. There's others in here. I, don't, I hate to call names because I feel like I start losing five out and someone's going to get offended. Then if you're offended, you're not a true servant, see? It's a test. You, if you got offended, you just didn't pass the test. And you just, you're not a servant. He didn't mention my name, and I'm there every Sunday morning. You're not a servant. You just proved to it. Because the true servant says, you know what? If I don't get my name mentioned or not, I'm going to be there because I'm a servant. See, gotcha. Ooh, ooh. That was a Bishop Wright setup. Jab, jab, jab. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. You didn't even see that coming, did you? That's a true servant. True servant. It is not our job to evaluate the master's other servants. The Bible says, who are you to criticize someone else's servants? The Lord will determine whether his servant has been successful. It is also not our job to defend ourselves against criticism. If you serve like Jesus, you can expect to be criticized. If you serve like Jesus, you can expect to be criticized. Well, you know what? They only do that because they're just trying to get on the good side with the pastor. I'll just be honest. If you are like Jesus, you can expect to be criticized. The world... And even much of the church does not understand what God values. The disciples criticized one of the most beautiful acts of love shown to Jesus. Mary took the most valuable thing she owned, expensive perfume, 
poured it out over Jesus. Her lavish service was called a waste by the disciples, but Jesus called it significant, and that's all that matters. Your service for Jesus is never wasted regardless of what others say. Your service for Jesus is never wasted no matter what others say. Number four, real servants base their identity in Jesus. They remember that they are unconditionally loved and accepted by grace. So they don't have to prove their worth when they are threatened by lowly jobs. Most of us are too insecure to be servants. We are afraid of our weaknesses and insecurities will be uncovered, so we hide them with layers of protective pride and pretensions. One of the most profound examples of serving from a secure self-image is Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Because washing the feet was equivalent to being a shoeshine boy, a job devoid of status. But Jesus knew who he was, so he wasn't threatened or bothered to do it. The Bible says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped the towel around his way, and became a servant. If you're going to be a servant, you must settle your identity in Jesus. Only secure people can serve. The more insecure you are, the more you'll want people to serve you, and the more you'll need their approval. On the other hand, when you base your worth and identity in your relationship with Jesus, you are freed from the expectation of others. I need to get that again. You you missed that again. The more insecure you are, the more you'll want people to serve you, and the more you'll need their approval. But if you base your worth and identity in Jesus Christ, you are free from the expectation of others. And you are free to serve. So if in order to be free to serve, I've got to find my worth and identity in him because he is the author and the finisher of everything. He is my source. And when that is, I'm free to serve because if I'm free to serve, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what you think of me. I don't care if you think I'm a success or a failure because my identity doesn't come by you. It comes from him. The most dangerous leader is a leader that leads trying to fulfill the expectation of those he's leading or she's leading. Because you know why? You can never please everybody. Brother Ronnie, you have your opinions. and I'm a, Okay, Brother Ronnie, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll do this. Well, I do that now, Brother, Brother Lamone's like, well, I don't like that. I'm, okay, Brother Lamone. I'm, and Brother Ronnie's not happy. So I get together. Okay, what can I do to find happy ground? So I find a happy ground. Well, I do that, guess what? Now Brother Josh isn't happy. And I'm pulling my hair out. I can't make everybody happy. You're right. Because there's only one I need to make happy, Jesus. There's only one I need to please, him. There's only one will I have to follow, him. Servants don't need to cover their walls with plaques and awards to validate their work. They don't insist on being addressed by titles. They don't wrap themselves in robes of superiority. Servants find status symbols unnecessary, and they never measure their worth by their achievements. This is what Paul said. You may brag about yourself, but the only approval that counts is the Lord's approval. If anyone had a chance to flaunt his connections and name drop, it had to be James, the half-brother of Jesus. He had the credentials of growing up with Jesus as his brother, Yet in the introduction to his letter, he simply referred to himself as this. Go read it. A servant of God in the Lord Jesus. Notice this. Again, if you don't hear anything I I said tonight, listen to this. The closer you get to Jesus, the less you need to promote yourself. Finally, the last attitude of servanthood. Real servants think of ministry as an opportunity, not as an obligation. They enjoy helping 
meeting and doing ministry. Helping the needs of people, meeting the needs of people and doing ministry. They serve the Lord. Notice what the Bible says. They serve the Lord with gladness. Why do we serve with gladness? Because we love the Lord. We're grateful for his grace. We know serving is the highest use of life. And God has promised us a reward. This is what Jesus said. And he promises. The Father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. That's what Jesus said. And Paul added later, he will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for others. God never misses anything. You may never be recognized. They may never know what you've done. But you know what? God sees everything. There is no way some of you in this room could ever be repaid for the service you do. There's not enough recognition. I know we did it several weeks, a year ago, a couple years ago, whenever it was, and it was great. And we recognized people that had been around for 10 to 20, 30 years, and that was awesome. But i got to be honest with you. How many years now, Mother Owens? How many? There's no way in this world there is anything that we could buy or go out and find that we could give to this beautiful woman to give that would equal 38 years of service to the Lord. There's no car, there's no house, there's no trip around the world that could ever equate, and there's others in here, I'm just picking her, she's sitting up front, that's what happens when you sit up front. She's the closest here. Brother Ronnie was there, and just trying to find the people close. There's others in here. 20, 30 years of service to the Lord. There is nothing we could ever give. There's nothing as a pastor. I couldn't hug you enough. I couldn't squeeze you tight enough. I couldn't tell you I love you enough to ever equate to you and ever equal what you've given to the Lord. But He remembers. He remembers. I've watched people that have come and Beautiful people of God. They never had their names up in lights. They never led any gatherings. They never preached to the masses. But they were true servants. They were true servants. You could watch them, their attitude, their smile. Demetri, your mother was such a beautiful, true servant. I remember going to see her when she was dying. She'd laying in the hospital bed, dying. All she wanted to do was talk about what was going on. How you doing, baby? How you doing? I'm like, how am I doing? I'm alive. She's laying there dying. All she wanted to do was make sure you're okay. This, we're not, this is not the, the Teresa Neiser Memorial Auditorium. I know when she stepped across the line into glory, there was an embrace by her heavenly father and a reward given to her that paled in comparison to anything she could have received here on earth. I could go and name, and I hate that. That's why I hate starting naming names. But I can't to say that. I hate to use names, but there's others in here. There's others that have been around. There's others that come through and have served. And beautiful, wonderful spirit. And there's no way possible that ever could receive what they're worth here on earth. But I know that the Bible says, in the end, everything we've done, God sees it. God sees every act of service. He sees everything you've done. He sees the the, the times where you walk out of the way and you go and tell that person, I just want to let you know I love you. He's not going to say, hey, guess what? just want to let you know, last week, Brother Ronnie walked all the way around the left side of the church to go over to tell somebody he loved them, and that person felt great inside. Let's give everybody a hand clap for Brother Ronnie. doesn't work that way. But you know what? Jesus sees it. And if he sees every act of service, he sees every time you pass up an opportunity to serve. 
if he sees every time you do it, he's watching because he sees the time where he gives you an opportunity, but you're just too busy. You just don't feel like it. Just not my day. All you brothers and sisters that are there at 8 o'clock in the morning, 8.30 in the morning every Sunday, I just got to tell you this. When you get to heaven, there won't be a chair you have to put down, a carpet you have to roll out, a table that you have to pick up. Thank God. But I know this, that there's a reward that you're going to receive. I don't know when you get to heaven... The Bible doesn't say this. I don't know when you get to heaven if it's sort of like Boy Scout badges. But if that's the case, you're going to have a chair badge, carpet badge, table badge. For that, it's going to have a giant sound badge, just a microphone. But you know what? The Bible says everything he sees. But why do we do it? We do it because we love, because we're grateful for his grace. And we know serving is the highest use of my life. Imagine what could happen if just 50% of all the disciples in Antioch West got serious about their role of being a real servant. Imagine what could be done. The question is, are you willing to be one of them? I read one author that said this, the only people that are truly happy are those that have learned to serve. In all this, servant, servanthood can't be something that we do. Being a servant has got to be who we are. Servanthood cannot be a vision thing. Servanthood has got to become a culture thing in Antioch West. We cannot see, Brother Owens, what we're trying to see God do in Antioch West if we don't become a group of servants. And you know what? I've got to be honest with you. And we're going to get into this on Sunday mornings. You've got just a quick dose of it here tonight. But you can't be a disciple without being a servant. See, we think discipleship is, I worship good, I read my Bible, and I come to Sunday mornings. But you know what? Love, servanthood, all these things are the fruit of discipleship. See, we think of the fruit of discipleship comes from what we do, but the true fruit of discipleship it comes in who we are. Because you know what? As we read in the beginning, he did what was right in the sight of God, but his heart wasn't true. God created me a heart. David said this, created me a clean heart. Renewing me a right spirit. We've got to change the way we think. We've got to change the way we think. I, I finished with this. I'm, I'm way past what I was thought. I, I give, me, give me 30 seconds. I remember we had a little struggle when we started Antioch West. It was a little game of musical chairs. Because when all the slots were filled up, so to speak, people were struggling with, I don't know what to do now because I don't, there's no place left. Because we have identified working for God to having a position or a place. Truly, living for God and being a servant of God is doing the will of the Father, no matter if we're recognized for it or not. We talked about this in the beginning. We talked about this a lot. We were going to have this whole thing set up. This whole deal of we're going to have, you know, chair captains and table captains. We're going to have all this organized. We're going to have da 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 have all, And we never did it. You know why? Because we had servants that stood up and took the, took the role and just did it. Didn't have to be organized. We had people that were willing to say, whatever needs to get done, I'm going to do it. Whatever needs to happen, I'm going to do it. If just 50%, I... I, I I, I I started off with like 70%. I didn't have enough faith. I'm like 60%. I'm 50%. I wrote it down. 50%. If just 50% of, of, of the disciples of Antioch West would get serious about being true servants, we could change everything. Because it's 
got to start here. Father, we thank you tonight. We love you. We give you praise and glory and honor for what you're doing. Challenge us tonight, God, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let us change the way we think. Help us to change the way we think so we can become what you called us to be. We speak all these things. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your patience tonight. God bless you. Sunday morning, Anatomy of Disciple, big day. We're in, we're, where it's a big, big lesson of Anatomy of Disciple. We're setting up for the whole summer. So you need to come. Be a part of it. God bless you. Amen.